Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Armchair Detectives Wanted. This is our missing person week. A day at the beach. The disappearance of the Beaumont children. This is the shocking case of three siblings that vanished without a trace in Australia. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Before we start I will just issue a warning. This podcast may include content that some could find upsetting. It may also contain offensive language. As with all these cases, they are real life events. So please be aware that the crimes have had an impact on the family and friends of the victim. This missing person case relates to the disappearance of three children. Jane Natari Beaumont was born on the 10th of September, 1956. Her sister, Anna Kathleen, was born on the 11th of November, 1958. The youngest sibling was Grant Ellis, born 12th of July, 1961. They were aged nine, seven and four at the time they disappeared. Their father was Grant Beaumont, known as Jim, and their mother was Nancy. Jim and Nancy married in 1955. Jim was a former serviceman, but at the time of this case was working as a taxi driver. They lived at 109 Harding Street, Somerton Park, a suburb of Adelaide in Australia. They were relatively close to Glenelg Beach. This was a popular spot the family would often visit. On the 25th of January, 1966, the day before the children vanished, Jim dropped his three children off at Glenelg Beach. At this time, their father left them at the beach they were unsupervised. However, this was not unusual during that decade. He then headed to Snowtown to complete a sales trip. This was in the middle of the summer heat wave. The children played at the beach and then returned home later that day. The following morning, the children asked their mother if they could go back to Glenelg Beach. Nancy agreed and the children caught the bus alone at 8.45am. The journey was no more than five minutes. It was about three kilometres from their home to the beach. Nancy expected the children to return home on the 12 o'clock bus, but they in fact didn't. They didn't return on the 2pm bus either. At about 3pm, their father returned home. Nancy advised him the children had not returned from the beach and she was starting to worry. Jim drove down to the crowded beach and started to look for the children. He searched but was unable to find them. Both Jim and Nancy then returned to the beach together, but again were unable to locate the children. At 5.30pm, Jim and Nancy made their way to the police station to report the children missing. The police were quick to respond and organised a search of the beach area. It was thought the children were still playing locally and had just lost track of time. As time progressed, the search parameters were increased. However, it still failed to locate the children. Railroads, the interstate, buildings and the ocean were all closely monitored. There was growing fear of an accident or kidnap. As news of the children grew and there was no sight of them, concerns were raised. It was believed the children may now have been involved in an accident, abducted or even murdered. A witness came forward to say they had spoken with the three children near the Patawalonga Boat Haven, which is near to the beach. The area was drained and searched by the police, but again, this failed to locate the children. As the police investigation progressed, witnesses started to come forward. At the rear of Glenelg Beach is a large grassed area known as Collie Reserve. 
A witness states they saw the children with a male at Collie Reserve. The male was described as tall, with fair to light brown hair and a thin face in his mid-thirties. He was suntanned and athletic, wearing swimming trunks. The witness states the children appeared to be playing in the company of the male. They seemed relaxed and were enjoying themselves. Another witness stated they had been approached by the same male whilst at the beach. He stated the children's money had gone missing and asked if the witness had seen anyone approach their belongings. Witnesses also saw the male leave the children while he went to get changed. The three children did not appear worried or hesitant and waited for him to return. An e-fit of this male can be seen at www.armchairdetectiveswanted.com A further witness observed the male and three children walking away from the beach. Police estimated the time to be approximately 12.15pm. This male has never been identified. About two and a half hours later, a different witness, Daphne Gregory, observed the children walking with a man. It is not known if this was the same male that other witnesses had seen the children with. The witnesses noticed he was carrying an airline bag, which was similar to the one owned by Jane. When the children's parents were told about the witness evidence, they said their children were shy, so didn't expect them to associate with strangers. Jim and Nancy were surprised that the children appeared to be playing confidently with what was an unknown person, a stranger. The theory was that the children had got to know the man during previous visits to the beach. What is strange is that Nancy recalled a conversation with Anna prior to the children vanishing. At the time of the conversation, she didn't give it much thought, but after the children went missing, it became more important. Anna told her mother Jane had got a boyfriend down at the beach. At the time, Nancy assumed this was just a friend and dismissed it. However, Nancy now put more emphasis on this after the witness described a man with the children at the beach. A shopkeeper came forward to say that Jane had bought pastries and a meat pie with a £1 note on the day they disappeared. This was purchased from Wenzel Bakery on Mossley Street, which is close to the beach. What was interesting about this is the fact that the children had not been given a £1 note by their parents. Police believe that the money had been given to them by a third party. That third party did not enter the store with the children. Was this the same man that had been seen with the children at the beach? The shopkeeper did in fact recognise the children from previous visits. He stated this was the first time they had purchased a meat pie. The police investigation progressed as the general public came forward to help. However, this also provided accounts that hindered timings of the investigation. A postman who knew the children came forward to say that he had seen them at about 3pm on the day they vanished, walking away from the beach along Jetty Road. He was regarded as a reliable witness. However, two days after he made his statement to police, he corrected it saying it might have been the morning and not the afternoon when he saw them. At the time he witnessed them, though they were alone and not in the presence of any male. A few months later, a further witness came forward reporting on the night of the disappearance she witnessed something strange she stated that a man along with two girls and a boy entered a local house she believed was empty she goes on to say that the young boy was walking alone along the road he was pursued by a male who picked him up and returned him to the house 
The following morning, the house appeared deserted again. She did not see the man or the children. This information failed to progress the police investigation. As you would expect, there were a number of sightings of the children, but none were positive. A psychic from Holland, Gerard Crosset, was brought in. It was hoped he could assist with the search parameters. However, his efforts were in vain. He did highlight a warehouse near to the children's home. He stated the bodies had been buried inside, the remains of an old brick kiln. The owners of the kiln were obviously reluctant to have it demolished on the word of a psychic. However, the public raised $40,000 to have the building demolished. Unfortunately, the subsequent search did not provide any evidence. In 1996, that same area was undergoing demolition, so the family allowed a further search of the grounds. But yet again, no evidence was located. It was unusual to use a psychic in missing person or police investigations. However, anything that would locate the children was considered. What is sad is that about two years after the disappearance of the children, the parents received two letters. These were supposedly written by Jane and the man that had kidnapped them. The envelopes were postmarked and identified to Dandenong, Victoria. At the time, the police believed they may have been genuine. Police compared the letters to the handwriting of Jane and formed the impression there was the possibility she had written them. The other letter from the man described himself as the guardian. He said he was prepared to return the children to their parents. The letter even gave a meeting place. It explained how the parents would meet the abductor and have their children returned. A detective followed the parents as they made their way to the rendezvous point. No one appeared. The parents were devastated. A short while later, a third letter arrived, purporting to be from Jane. It stated the Guardian realised a disguised detective was present. He felt betrayed by the parents and vowed to keep the children. As forensic examinations improved over the years, further testing was completed on the letters. In 1992, fingerprints were recovered from the letters. They identified to a 41-year-old male. This male was a teenager at the time the letters were sent. He admitted to sending them, saying he had sent them as a joke. Due to the amount of time that had elapsed, he was not charged or put before the courts. You can only imagine how much heartache those letters must have caused to the parents. In 2013 and 2018, excavation was carried out near the rear of a North Plimpton factory. This had previously belonged to Harry Phipps, a suspect in the case. The search was completed on the evidence of two males who came forward, stating Phipps had asked them to dig a hole at the location. Therefore, it was theorised that Harry Phipps may have asked for a hole to be dug to allow him to bury the children's bodies. Geophysical testing also took place, showing that the soil had been disturbed. However, both searches five years apart failed to produce any evidence other than animal bones. Although today no one has been formally charged in relation to the disappearance of Jane, Arna and Grant, the following years provided police with a number of suspects. The first suspect was Bevan Spencer von Einem, who was born in 1946. He was sentenced to life imprisonment in 1984 
for the murder of Richard Kelvin, who was the son of an Adelaide newsreader. Police believe he was also responsible for other murders, though never convicted of them. Von Einem has always refused to cooperate with the police over the Beaumont children's disappearance. An informant came forward to state Von Einem had boasted that he had taken the three children from the beach. The witness continued saying Von Einem had taken them home to conduct experiments. During the surgery, one of the children had died, so he killed the other two. He then went on to dump their bodies in bushland in the south of Adelaide. Von Einem did resemble the efits of the male scene with the children. I'll just remind you, the efit can be seen at www.armchairdetectiveswanted.com Police regarded the informant as a generally reliable source. Von Einem had been known to visit Glenelg Beach. He was involved in voyeurism while watching the changing rooms near to the beach. Voyeurism is gaining sexual pleasure from watching others when they are naked or involved in sexual activity. He is also said to have had a preoccupation with children. The unidentified male with the children was described as in his 30s. At the time of the children vanishing, Von Einem was in his early 20s. Arthur Stanley Brown, born in 1912, was a further suspect. He was charged in 1988 with the murder of two sisters, Judith and Susan McKay. They had disappeared while going to school on the 26th of August 1970 in Townsville, Queensland. They were found strangled a few days later. Their bodies had been dumped in a creek. Brown never faced justice as he was deemed to be suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's at the time those offences were committed. He died in 2002. He also bore a resemblance to the effect of the male seen with the children when they vanished. However, at the time the children went missing, he was 53, which is considerably older than the male in the effect. A link could not be established between Brown and the town of Adelaide either. James Ryan O'Neill was born in 1947. He was a further suspect. He was sentenced to life imprisonment for the murder of a nine-year-old boy in 1975. The murder occurred in Tasmania. He had boasted to acquaintances that he was responsible for the Beaumont children's disappearance. He was questioned by police but said, I couldn't have done it. I was in Melbourne at the time. He was asked if he had murdered the children to which he replied, Look, on legal advice, I am not going to say where I was or when I was there. O'Neill confirmed he had never visited Adelaide. Derek Ernest Percy, born in 1948, was another potential suspect. He is a convicted child murderer. It is alleged that the evidence gathered by police indicated Percy was a potential suspect. Percy suffered a psychological condition that prevented him from remembering his actions. Percy indicated that he might have abducted and killed the Beaumont children. However, he couldn't recollect doing so. At the time of the offence, Percy was 17, so younger than the unidentified male. It is thought Percy didn't have access to a vehicle which would have limited his ability to kidnap and dispose of the children. In 2007, Percy was questioned by the police. However, he was no more than a suspect. Alan Anthony Munro was another suspect, a former scoutmaster and a convicted paedophile. 
he had pleaded guilty to 10 child sex offences, which dated back to 1962. Munro was a suspect in the Beaumont children's disappearance as a result of a second-hand account provided by Alan Maxwell McIntyre. In fact, McIntyre had been investigator for the disappearance of the children himself. McIntyre stated that Munro attended his home address with the bodies of three children in the boat of his car. This, though, was never confirmed. As late as 2017, police were provided with copies of a child's diary. The entry, written in 1966, placed Munro at Glenelg Beach at the time of the children's disappearance. It transpired that the entry had been made by one of the sons of Alan McIntyre to substantiate their father's account. Although police tried, they could not link Munro to the abduction. As previously mentioned, the final suspect is Harry Phipps. He was the owner of a local factory. He was similar in looks to the efit of the male with the children. He was wealthy and known to give out £1 notes. Is this who provided the children with the £1 note they used at the shop? He lived on the corner of Augusta Street and Sussex Street, about 300 metres from the beach. The son of Phipps, Hayden, stated in 2017 he had seen the children in his father's yard on the day that they vanished. At the time, Hayden would have been 15. Two other witnesses had come forward to say that they were paid by Phipps to dig a hole in the factory yard. This was about the time the children vanished. Excavations of the land took place in 2013 and 2018, but both failed to reveal any evidence. Despite police having several suspects, to this date, no one has been charged with the abduction or murder of the three children. This must have been a devastating time for the parents, to lose all three children in such a manner. They stayed at their home hoping their children would one day walk through the door. In 1990, newspaper published images that depicted how the children would have looked as adults. These were published against the parents' wishes and it caused them great heartache. Unfortunately, the couple later divorced and lived separately. Nancy died in Adelaide in 2019, age 92. Grant died in 2023, age 97. Neither parent was ever given closure. They went to their deathbed not knowing what happened to their children and not knowing who had abducted them. This must have been heartbreaking. Well now, it's over to you Armchair Detectives Wanted team. This is what we know. At 8.40am, on the 26th of January 1966, the three children left their home address. At 8.45am, they caught the bus from Harding Street. At 10.15am, they were seen leaving the beach. At 11am, they were seen playing under a sprinkler. At 11.15, a man is seen playing with the children in Collie Reserve. At 11.45, the children enter a local store to buy snacks and a meat pie from Wenzel's Bakery. At approximately 12.15, the three children were seen walking with an unidentified male. The children were expected home at 2pm. At 3pm, the children were spotted walking along the jetty road in the direction of their home address. The witness may have got the timing wrong. At 7.30pm, the children were reported as missing. At 8.40, police searched Brighton Foreshore's West Beach and Henley Beach. 9.50pm, Sea Rescue offered to search coastline. At 10pm, father confirms 
family and friends have not heard or seen the children. At 10.17pm, police searched vessels at Boat Haven. All the searchers failed to locate the children. An e-fitting description is provided of the unidentified male seen with the children. The children have never been found, neither has any of their possessions. And here's what we need to know. Where are the children? Are they still alive? Where are all the possessions of the children? Was anyone on the bus with the children? Who was the unidentified male seen with them? Who is the male seen in the EFIT? Why did they feel comfortable with the mum? Why did they go to the bakery to buy snacks and a meat pie? Did they know their abductor? Did the children end up in the sea and was it a tragic accident? Who gave the children the pound note? Was that pound note recovered for fingerprint examination? Do you believe the children were taken by someone local? Do you think the children were taken to an address? Is Bevan Spencer von Einem a realistic suspect? Is Arthur Stanley Brown a realistic suspect? Is James Ryan O'Neill a realistic suspect? Is Derek Ernest Percy a realistic suspect? Is Alan Anthony Munro a realistic suspect? Is Harry Phipps a realistic suspect? Should the home addresses of any of these be searched and excavated? I think it is unimaginable to put yourself in the shoes of the parents, to lose all three children in such tragic circumstances. They remained strong and supportive and did all they could to help in the investigation. To live not knowing all those years must have been terrible and heartbreaking. Even though they later separated, they remained committed to finding their children. It is a familiar story that when parents lose their children, they don't want to leave their home address, just in case they walk through the door. The hope must always be there that one day they will walk through the door. Authorities have provided a $1 million reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the offender. Someone knows what happened to those children. Someone knows if they were abducted. Someone knows if they have been killed. Someone has that vital piece of information. Please visit our Facebook page, Armchair Detectives Wanted, where you will be able to discuss your theories and views with other members. Don't forget to go to www.armchairdetectiveswanted.com where you will find photos and further information about the case. Week 8 of our scenario. Scenes of crime complete their investigation. The deceased is removed from the house and taken to the mortuary where a post-mortem examination will take place. The scene is sealed. The broken glass and lamp are recovered. A search of the back garden now takes place. A footprint is found in the soil and a plaster cast taken of it. The police investigation now starts. How would you prioritise the investigation? A. CCTV B. A record of who lives on the street C. House to house enquiries D. Soil samples from the garden E. Fingerprints on the broken items Thank you for listening to Armchair Detectives Wanted. You are one of the team. Remember, don't just listen, be involved. 
we really would appreciate you recommending our podcast to others. We look forward to you joining us next week for episode 9, The Coroner's Letter. <laughs>